Today, I get to carry on with the second message in our series, All Things New. And we thought, what better way to kick off the new year than to talk about new things? And Pastor Chris, last week, gave us the first message in this series, and he shared out of Revelation 21. And Revelation 21 is an incredible passage because in Revelation 21, God himself, it says, will one day wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. And man, is that a hope that we get to look forward to. Amen? And here's the thing Pastor Chris told us last week, and it's true that not only do we have that eternal hope, but we have hope today, right? We have hope because Jesus rules and reigns in and through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, and he's redeemed us from sin and death. It's an incredible promise that we have hope for today, and we have a hope to look forward to tomorrow. But the world isn't yet fully redeemed, right? Pastor Chris talked about that tension that we live in, where we have this hope for today, hope for tomorrow, but yet we still face challenges. In college, we we were often told at Geneva, it's the already but the not yet. We're partly there, but it's not yet fully consummated, and we can't wait for that day. And as we live in that tension, we live in that reality, right? And this reality affects every bit of who we are. It affects our being as human beings. It affects our spirits, our souls, and our bodies, right? As we live with this, in, in this reality, it affects every area of who we are, of our beings, our spirit, our souls, and our bodies. Now, you may be wondering, why would we focus on spirit, soul, and body? Where's that terminology come from? And I'll be honest, I thought the same thing a couple years ago when, we, when I heard it here at New Life, spirit, soul, and body. I thought, huh, I wonder why we would focus on that. Well, it's because it's in the Bible. It's actually found in 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to read it today. It says, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three elements, spirit, soul, and body. We as humans are comprised of these three things. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Today I get to talk about the spirit, and I'm kind of excited about that because of of the three, we probably know the least about the spirit. Let me explain. The physical reality in our physical bodies it's the easiest for us to see and be aware of and discern, right? Because if something happens to our bodies or something happens in the world, we can sense it. We've got five senses, right? Our hearing, our taste, our smell, our touch. What's the other one? Sight? Yeah, okay, good. Keep me honest tonight. Yeah, we have these senses, and if something goes wrong, we know. We can oftentimes perceive the physical reality the most readily. When it comes to our soul, we may think, well, we don't really know what that is, but we're actually more aware than, than what we may think. Watchman Nee has an incredible uh, illustration. He breaks down the components of this in a couple of his books, but one in particular, the basic elements of the Christian life. He says, our souls are comprised of our minds, our emotions, and our wills. Our minds, our emotions, and our wills. In the New Testament, oftentimes soul comes from the root psyche, from which we get psychology. So psychology is really the study of the human soul, right? It's it's the study of our emotions, our mind, our will. Why do we do the things that we do? Now, 
This is a little harder to understand for us because we oftentimes can't perceive this with our senses. I'll give you an example. If I were to break my arm and I were up here in a sling, you'd go, oh, Pastor Barry hurt his arm. You would know because my arm's in a sling, you could physically see it. And if we talked afterward, you would say, oh, what happened? And I'd tell you the story. And then years from now, perhaps if it were going to rain, I would know because my arm would ache. Anybody that's broken a bone knows that, right? And if you were like, oh, why are you, why are you favoring your arm today? It's like, oh, I broke it. And you're like, oh, yeah. I wouldn't have to tell you anything other than that. It would just make sense. But when it comes to our soul, language kind of fails, right? Like try to articulate or say with words how we experience emotion like joy or sorrow or pain or happiness. And it's like, that's why they have poetry, which I still don't understand sometimes, right? But it's our attempt to try to articulate emotion. Or if we're wounded, if we're wounded in some way, then if that happens in our spirit or in our souls, in our mind, our emotions or our will, we oftentimes can't see that, right? Emotional trauma is a real thing. Anyone who has done any sort of ministry or just lived life knows that things that happened to us in the past, those hurts, those joys, they affect us for years to come. Whereas you could see my broken arm, you can't always know where that trauma's hit me though, right? And so again, our language kind of falls short when we try to describe the human soul. And then you factor in why we do what we do and how we think, and man, it's a broad topic. I'm actually glad that someone else is preaching on it next weekend. Today, like I said, I get to focus on the Spirit. I get to focus on the Spirit, and as I mentioned, this is the one with which we are probably the most unfamiliar. In fact, many of us, even as I'm talking, are going, isn't the Spirit and the soul, aren't they the same thing? I'd have thought that for a number of years, but they're not. 1 Thessalonians 5 makes that clear, and also Hebrews chapter 4 says this, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful, or alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, the message about how the word of the Lord divides soul and spirit, that's a message for another day. But the point, the reality is, there are two components there, a spirit and a soul, and the Bible, again, makes that clear. It may seem a little bit confusing. If you're a little confused right now, take heart. One of the most learned teachers of his day actually went to Jesus talking about this, and he was so confused throughout the whole thing. We're actually going to talk about that account here today. So if you're a little confused and going, what's going on here, take heart to know that one of the most knowledgeable men of his generation had a hard time figuring it out. But as we walk this through today, I want us to focus on one point. And it's our take-home point. And we always say that we want to focus on one primary point, but we really need to hold on to this point the whole way through the message today. If you don't remember anything, remember this take-home point, and that is the moment that we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives, our spirits are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that changes everything. The moment that the Holy Spirit renews our spirits, it changes everything. Hold on to that as we talk about what the human spirit is and what it does and all of those things as we walk through this account. But just know that the moment the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and renews our spirits, it changes everything. 
If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 21 today. But before we look at the word of the Lord, let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Holy Father, I would ask that as we look into your word, that you would reveal your truth. Father, that you would minister to us as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may take what you teach us here, apply it to our lives. And Lord, ultimately, that you would be honored and glorified, that many would come to know you and grow to be like you. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen. We'll be looking at a couple of verses at a time, but we're going to start at John 3, verses 1 through 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So let's set the context here. Nicodemus is a wise, learned leader of his day. He was a someone, and he came to Jesus at night, which means he wanted this to be a secret meeting. Now, explanations as to why he wanted this to be a secret meeting vary. Some folks think that he wanted to just talk to Jesus in private and didn't want to deal with the crowds. Others think that he wanted to, didn't want anyone to know that he was there. Or perhaps he just didn't want anyone to know that he was there asking questions that might might make him look a little foolish, right? Any of those reasons doesn't really matter. But what we do know is that he believed that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, but that he was sent from God. It's clear that God is with you. And how does he know? He points to the physical reality, right? He says, hey, I can see this stuff you're doing. The physical, that's the easiest for us to understand. And he goes, God must be with you. And Jesus replies, it's so incredible. If you just begin to break down this passage, he just weaves words. It's incredible. But what he says in reply is, listen, unless you're born again, you don't really understand who I am. He actually says that unless you're born again, you can't truly understand. He uses a word here for see in this passage, and it doesn't mean to just see with the eyes, but to perceive and understand. He's going, you can see the physical, but you can't really see. Think about that. Wise, learned teacher of his day, and Jesus is going, you're blind until you're born again. When you're born again, then you can know who I am and you can know about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So Jesus was talking about this very important topic and Nicodemus, so confused, so confused. He says this in verse 4, What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's a great question. His mom probably was glad she wasn't there. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants. 
Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Again, Nicodemus relying on the physical reality, right? He's like, I, how can I go back into my mom's womb? And he's looking at that from that physical perspective because that's what we understand the best. What Jesus says in reply is, listen, there's a physical birth. When he's talking about water, he's talking about a physical birth. In the same way, if a pregnant lady comes up to you and says, my water broke, you're calling someone, right? He says, you got to be born of water, you need to be physically born, and you must be born of the Spirit. Jesus went on to explain that as humans reproduce humans, so the Holy Spirit can give birth to spiritual life. Jesus was referring to the spiritual component of our human existence, to our spirits, and the spiritual realm with which it's associated. This interpretation was blowing Nicodemus's mind. It was just blowing his mind. And the question needs to be asked, well, what's wrong with our spirits? Why do they need to be reawakened? Why do we need them to be born again? For that, we have to go back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the first book of the Bible, it says in verse 7 that God formed the first man, and his name was Adam. And and it says in that passage that God formed Adam out of the dust, that he breathed his life into him, and Adam became a living being, literally in the Hebrew, a living soul. So we have two of the three components there, right? We've got the body that a minute ago was dust, that God must have made like the most amazing amazing sandcastle thing out of, right? I don't know how he got the dust to stand up. Think about that for a minute. But anyways, then he... Then, then we know that this being becomes a living soul. Where's the spirit? Well, throughout the Bible, where God breathes, it's oftentimes understood that that is his divine or holy spirit. So his spirit enters into Adam and ignites everything. He becomes literally a living soul. God's spirit awakened Adam's spirit, and it brought Adam to Life And what did that allow Adam to do? Allowed him to hear from and talk to God. Allowed him to have a relationship with God. Every bit of that whole process allowed Adam and God to hang out, which is an incredible promise. And the same is true for humans today. Our spirit, this is the purpose of our spirit. Our spirit can, is the means and it's how we can relate to hear from, and communicate with God. That's what our spirit does. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve sinned. Only a couple of verses later, chapter 3, we know that Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. And in that moment, what happens? They died. Their spirits died. Scripture tells us that in that moment, their spirits were dead. Think about this. Before that moment, I oftentimes wonder... Could Adam and Eve, since they were perfect beings and they could relate to God, and they could fully relate physically, right, with their body and their soul and their spirit, could they, like, understand each other completely? The answer to that is yes. So Adam completely understood Eve and all of her emotions and how she thought and how she perceived things? What did we do? But, you know, I mean, honestly, he could perceive everything about her. There was no question. There was no, I wonder 
why she does that. In the same way, she's like, I wonder why he's not, well, he doesn't wear socks, but he's just leaving stuff laying around. <laughs> they knew. That was broken. That was gone. But what even is even more incredible is that one-third, think about this, we are body, soul, spirit. That component, the spiritual component, died. Could you imagine a third of you just being gone in an instant? And it was gone for generations until Jesus. What Jesus is pointing to here and what he's foreshadowing is how his death and resurrection will ultimately lead to spiritual rebirth. Many scholars believe that when he talks about the wind in this passage, he's talking about physical wind, but he's also talking about the divine wind of God, the Holy Spirit, that would enter into the life of a believer and reawaken that element that was long dead. According to Watchman Nee, he says this, the first spirit mentioned here is the divine spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And the second spirit is the human spirit, the regenerated spirit of man. Regeneration is accomplished in the human spirit by the Holy Spirit of God with God's life through Jesus. Thus, to be regenerated is to have the divine eternal life in addition to the human natural life as the new source and new element of a new person. Everything is new. When Jesus enters our lives, I entitled this message, We Must Be Born Again. And I hope by now you're beginning to see why. Everything hinges upon this reality that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can renew us and renew our very spirits. Being, a, being born again, having the Holy Spirit renew our human spirit is the basis of our new and ongoing relationship with God. What was the purpose of the human spirit? It allowed Adam to talk to, communicate, and have a relationship with God. What's the purpose of our renewed spirit? So we can talk to, communicate with, and have a relationship with God. Without a renewed spirit, we cannot have that. But thanks to Jesus, we can. The spirit reawakens that long-dead component of our being which allows us to have unity with God, which was impossible outside of the Garden of Eden when God and Adam and Eve walked together in the cool of the day. Nicodemus responded by asking a question that's probably on our minds as well. How are these things possible? He says in verse 9. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things? He's like, he's like a cat with a mouse right now. He's really, he is. Jesus, is, he's just prompting Nicodemus in so many ways. He says this, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly, possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 
At this point, Nicodemus' head was mush. Jesus had just totally told him a bunch of stuff that he had no possible way of understanding. Why? Because Jesus actually wrapped together the past, the present, and the future in a way that only God could. He actually said, I've been sent down from heaven, and I'm actually going to be lifted up on a cross, and I'm going to die. And he makes a reference to Moses lifting up the snake, saying that's how he's going to die. And because of that death, he would actually be accomplishing what? God's will. God's will. God's will is to what? Have the relationship with each and every one of us renewed and restored. He made it clear he's enacting the will of the Father, and that will and restoration leads us to hope. Hope. What's the hope? That we can be saved from what? Death. The death that we currently live in and the death that faces us forever and ever. For anyone who would receive it, hope would be before them and it would abound. Jesus went on to say, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see, what, can see that they are doing what God wants. Jesus ended the passage by pointing to the choice that has faced humanity from this point, and will continue to be the choice until Jesus comes back. Will we ultimately submit our lives to him and allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives and renew our spirits? Or will we continue to live with dead spirits, unawakened, until we no longer exist? That's the choice that's before each and every one of us. Watchman Nee, I think, sums it up nicely when he says this, whatever Christ is, whatever he did, and whatever he obtained and attained have all been included in this life-giving spirit. Think about that. Everything that Jesus did is transferred to us when our spirits are awakened. That is possible and that is there. Now, this life-giving spirit has come into us and is mingled with our spirit, thereby, thereby joining us to him as one spirit. Praise him. We are one with the Lord in our spirit. If we know how to turn to our spirit, we can contact Christ. This is the secret. This is the key. Unbelievers have only physical life in the body and human and psychological life in the soul. They do not have the eternal life of God in their spirit because they have not received Christ into their spirit. Our need today is that we turn to live in another direction, that is from the soul to the spirit. Before we were saved, we were living by human life in the soul. Since we have been saved, we must live by the divine spirit in this life. How do we do this? Well, the first step is to actually understand that there is this component of our lives that many of us are completely unaware of. I was for most of my adult life. I didn't fully realize that there was a spiritual part of me that the Lord had redeemed. And out of that, we get to have a relationship with him. And I thought the relationship was 
Kind of like, uh, well, I won't go to hell. But no, what that ultimately means is this. If we ignore the spiritual component of our lives, if we ignore the spirit, if we ignore that relationship with God, it means that how we make our decisions and what drives our lives are either our bodies or our souls. Our bodies will tell us to do what feels good, generally, or what causes the least amount of pain, right? Yeah, don't touch the stove, right? Or if you do, go get hammered, right? So, you know, whatever feels good or don't want to cause you pain. Um, And if we live out of our souls, we make really good rational decisions. Or we make things that'll make decisions based on what makes us happy. Or if your will is really strong, like a strong-willed child, you'll do whatever you think is best, right? That's how we make decisions. That's what guides our life. And if we live out of that, we miss this huge element of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus, And that is, there's this whole spiritual component, which is led and guided by God, where he gets to tell us what to do, and we get to be in relationship with him, and he gets to pour life into us, and the joy, and the hope, and the blessing, and the challenge that that is, right? Can I tell you how many times I, in my life, I have landed on a rational, emotionally sound decision and I'm going to pull the trigger, and God says, wait. That's the Spirit of God. Well, when I'm about to pull the trigger on a totally irrational and horrible emotional decision, and God says, no! I'm thankful for those most of the time, except when I'm not. I wish I could begin to express to you how many times I've been driving in my car from point A to point B, and God goes, what's your plans for today? And I go, well, I'm going to do these things. And he goes, no, you're not. No, you're not. Let's just wreck that a little bit today. Why is that possible? How is that possible? Why does he do that? Remember, as our spirits are renewed, it's our means by which we communicate, relate to, and have a relationship with God. That's the whole purpose of the Spirit. It says in the scripture that Jesus says, I will send you the spirit who will lead you, guide you in all truth. And when we live without that element, we oftentimes find ourselves making really good decisions that ultimately do not benefit the kingdom of God. I'll share a story with you guys as we, as we close here today. A few months ago, I was horribly stressed. Anybody ever been there, horribly stressed? I just looked at what I had to do And really, who I wanted to be as I was walking this out. And I went, God, don't know. Don't know how I'm going to do it. Don't know how I'm going to hold it together. And I've never had a breakdown, honestly, or a panic attack. But I could see how this would go there. I went, if I don't kind of wrangle this, this could end up poorly. And so in my time with the Lord in the morning, I pulled it all before him. And he said, well, what do you got? And I went, well, I got to do this, and I want to be this way, and I want to be healthy in the midst of it, and I don't want to make stupid decisions, and I just laid it all out. It took about, I don't know, for me, 20 minutes. And I laid it all out there. Just, how did I feel? Emotionally stressed, mind racing, physically heartbeat elevated, all the things. And I wish I could tell you like an angel descended, but that didn't happen. What instead happened is what usually happens is this little voice, this still small voice in my head said, huh, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're smart. It'll be fine. Yeah, but you, you don't understand. No, you, you don't understand. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're smart. You'll figure it out. 
And you're like, did he really? Guys, if you have yet to reach a point in your relationship with the Lord where he's just able to have a conversation with you, I pray for the day that you get there. I can't imagine a day or a week that goes by where God's not like, why are you doing that? Or good job there. You really need to apologize for that one. But in that moment, I love you. I'm proud of you. Love you means that it doesn't matter what I do. He loves me. Proud spoke to who I am as a man, my integrity and my character. Ooh, that meant a lot in that moment. Smart. I am smart. I forgot about it. Not arrogant, but just needed to be reminded in that moment that you're not dumb. Encouragement. You'll figure it out with me. The joy that I had in that moment, the emotional side just began to ratchet down. What changed? Nothing. Not one thing changed. Those challenges were still before me. Had no idea how I was going to navigate it. But I knew that I had a God who loved me, who was proud of me, who thought I was smart, and said I was going to figure it out. Oh, here we go. And friends, that is what we gain when we live life out of the Spirit. The Spirit that we ultimately get to live with through the regenerative work of Jesus in our lives. That's the missing element. Before Jesus came, the relationship with God was broken. But because of Him, we get to live out of that truth. And as we do so, we'll be living out our next step for today, which is this. I will let the Holy Spirit guide my spirit, soul, and body every day this week. I'll let the Holy Spirit guide my spirit, soul, and body every day this week. My hope and prayer for all of us, whether we're here in person or we're watching online today, is quite simply this, that we would start every day and say, God, I submit all I am to you. Use me however you would want to use me, and Holy Spirit, renew my spirit that you would lead God and direct every step of my path. And if we do that, I guarantee that the Lord will begin to speak to that spirit of us. And as Watchman Nee says, the two will become intertwined so that we are able to hear from, communicate with, and have a relationship with God. Because when the Holy Spirit moves and reawakens our spirit, it changes everything. Amen? Amen. We talked a lot about the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit tonight, which simply means that God cares about us, that he loves us, and he wants to heal that, which, that all of us, everything that's within us. If you've yet to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, I hope you have a little bit of an idea of why we think it's so awesome. Because the living God of the universe wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us to speak truth and love into us, to lead and guide us so that ultimately as we bend the knee to him, he can use us for his glory and to see his kingdom grow from here to the ends of the earth. If that's you here today, I just want to encourage you by saying, if you've yet to make that decision, today could be the day and to be the best decision of your life. Here at New Life, we say it's simple. It's simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. We admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is our Savior and Lord, and we confess. We confess that we need Jesus as Savior and Lord, and then we commit. We commit our lives to following him. Pastor Barry talked today a lot about being born again and what that means for us. 
If you haven't been born again yet, today's the day. Today is the day to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and to be born into this family of believers. If this is something you would like to do, please pray this with me now. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that Jesus is your Son, and that Jesus came to this earth, and that He died on the cross for my sins, and that He rose again on the third day, just like He promised that He would. And I confess, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I commit everything to you, God. I commit my life, I commit my spirit, just everything, Lord. And I thank you that I can have this new life in you, Lord, that I can be changed, not only for this life, but for the next one, Lord. I love you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.